Well, welcome to the revolution. <laughs> and shout out to you guys that are over in the south, like social distance style. Uh, glad that you guys are with us, as well as those that are joining us from our Speedway location. And all of you that are here in the live studio audience, for all the folks that are joining us in laptops and living room watch parties and Acts 2 communities in the Kansas City area and beyond. We've got folks that are joining us from all over the place. Hi, Bill and Barb from Colorado Springs. I see here in, from Facebook that Michaela is joining us from Platte City and Krista is from Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, Miriam from Shawnee, Kansas. Just folks from all over the place. I also see we've got Jolene from Iowa. Um, Jolene, I just love how um, you do your devotions while you're walking your dog and you share that with us in our Westside community. That is so cool. And you know this already, and some of you that are joining us um, in social know this too, that we have a new member of our family because about a month ago, I got this photo from my wife, Maria, who is off doing a performance painting for a church in Greensburg, Kansas. And when I saw that face, I knew it was over. <laughs> there was no discussion. The dog's face was cute too. But I've seen that look on my wife's face before. And I knew that this dog was coming home. Two weeks later, we had a kid, right? And like any kid, it's a package deal. She's cute when she sleeps, but she also cries, pees, poos, and like any other kid, occasionally bites. And in a few days, she was family. And we know this because Maria painted her. And if Maria paints you, well then, it's official. You are family. Now, interestingly enough, there's no painting of me in the house yet. <laughs> but this one, it just, I don't know. And Jojo, our cat, not pleased, right? Jojo thought that we were a cat family. Her world just exploded. Now, there's, there's dog people and cat people, so which one are you? Put in the chat in the comments, uh, or tell your neighbor right now, which one are you? Dog person or cat person? Go. Okay, so I know that that is, there are dog people and cat people, but it is a little bit of a trick question because why can't you just be both, right? Which brings us to episode four of our Acts 2 Revolution story. Now, for those of you who haven't um, seen all of the other previous episodes, I'm going to catch you up with a short recap. Episode one, this is where the Acts 2 Revolution began. And Randy shared with us how it all gets kicked off by Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he says that you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that actually happened because when Jesus says stuff, it usually works out that way. <laughs> and episode two, we learned from Troy an amazing message about how that Acts 2 community, the revolution, was unstoppable. Peter and John, they get released from prison because they can't help just keep on talking about what they had learned and heard. And the power of community, of coming together, living generously and adventurously is unstoppable. And last week, we heard from Dan an amazing message that, Acts, that the Acts 2 revolution is diverse. And the revolution grew by the church confronting their own blind spots and bias. And today in episode four, we're springing off of last week when we look at Acts chapter 11, verse 19. So get your Bibles on 
to that particular chapter. And it, we'll read there that it says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far from Jerusalem, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word. Oh, wait, there's three more words on that verse. Only among Jews. And that's where it gets a little weird because I know that it is human nature for us to like people who like us. I get that. But I think it's a little bit difficult for us to understand all of the complexities that happened in the first century on the other side of the world. You see, back in those days, in the first century, they were so primitive, so backwards, that they actually discriminated over race. Crazy, right? Yeah, they, they would even fight over religion. They would, they would divide over language and ethnicity. They would even argue over politics. I'm so glad we don't have those problems anymore. They would divide over worship style. And here's, here's all kidding aside. Prejudice, discrimination, supremacy, oppression might be news, but it's not new. And the only exceptions that you find to that general rule of the sinful human nature are those that involve a larger view of humanity, kind of like the way that Jesus did. And it changes when you find your ultimate identity in Jesus. And we've talked a lot about identity. In fact, we've got these wristbands. And the very first thing talks about our identity. Who are we, church? We are God's family. But we need to ask ourselves the question, how big is God's family? Now, I know that when we talk about family, a lot of times that can be a loaded word because there's a lot of dysfunction in families and all you have to do is just be married and you know that that's true because everybody thinks their family's normal until you get married, right? And then you find out <laughs> how jacked up everyone is, right? But even so, I believe that inside each one of us has the image of God that is burned within the soul of every human being that longs for a true, healthy, and pure sense of real family and belonging. All of us know that. All of us know that. And we find that in Acts 1-8 where Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is a basic outline of Jesus' kingdom in ever-expanding circles of inclusion. And you find that outline throughout the entire book of Acts. And it starts in Jerusalem with Pentecost, but it was just all Jews. And then it goes to Judea, like we learned from last week, that were Greek-speaking Jews, but they were still Jews. They disagreed with one another, but they're still Jews. And then we find in a few chapters later, we're not going to touch that now, where Philip is carried to Samaria, those are a mixture of Jews and Greeks. And when I say the word Greeks, and you find that in Scripture, it's really talking about non-Jews or Gentiles as we would know them. And then the ends of the earth, everybody else. Again, not Jews. This part of the church is expanding into Greek territory when we hit Romans 11. Verse 20, it says, Some of them, however, men from Cyprus... And Cyrene, modern-day Libya, began to speak, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks 
also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now, the gospel just went from rural Nazareth to urban Jerusalem and now metropolitan Antioch. Here's what you need to know about Antioch, that in Paul's day, that was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. You had Rome, then Alexandria, and then Antioch. And there was a huge colony of expat Jews that were living there in the predominantly Greek-speaking population. And there were more Jews living in Antioch than at this time than there were in all of Judea in the surrounding areas. So I can see why some people would just kind of like to be with people that were like them. But these missionaries, and we don't even know their names, they didn't wait for permission from a Jerusalem council. They didn't wait for a vision like Peter that basically God is pushing Peter out and saying, look, you need to take this to other people. They didn't wait for an angelic visitation that transported them to Samaria. They just simply obeyed the Great Commission. They just obeyed Jesus. That was it. And a lot of times we think that the vision that Peter had going to Cornelius' house, a Gentile, was a good thing, a miraculous thing, when actually God had to do that miracle for Peter so that he could get over his own prejudice. But because of these unnamed missionaries, what springs forth in this region is the very first multi-ethnic and multicultural church. And we know this because a few chapters later in Acts 13, it lists the leaders of this church in Antioch. And it starts with Barnabas. He is a Hellenized Jew. Then you have Simeon called Niger. Think Nigerian. He was from African descent. Then you have Lucius, Cyrene, Greek, basically from Libya. Menaean, he was a part of the entourage of Herod Antipas, you know, and so he was like semi-famous. And then you have Saul, who was Jewish, but also a Roman citizen and a former terrorist because he killed, imprisoned, and persecuted the followers of Jesus before becoming one himself. Clearly, if you have all the leaders of this church from the entire spectrum of the Greek world and of the Jewish world, famous, non-famous, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, the whole thing, that's why this is the very first multi-ethnic, multicultural church that we know of. And here's what happens when you decide to be as inclusive as God is. Verse 21 tells us what happened. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. You notice what it didn't say. It didn't say that a great number of people gathered in their events or showed up at their houses. We're talking about people that are changing their eternal destinies and their lives are being changed. And Antioch is the very first model of a multi-ethnic missional movement. And actually, we get our understanding of the modern church, not from the church in Jerusalem, we get our understanding of even Westside Family Church, not really from the church in Jerusalem, but rather from the church of Antioch. Because Antioch, from this point, starts to become the center of God's movement, shifting away from Jerusalem. Because when a church family takes seriously that God is the divine creator and distributor 
of all diversity and honors the image of God in all people and seeks to uphold the beauty of every culture and ethnicity. And I'm not saying those things are easy. It's not. <laughs> the, being diverse is both personally and communally complex, but you end up with something a lot like the church in Antioch, and you end up with something that hearkens to what John talks about in the book of Revelation, and it, at its core is a desire for heaven. Because it says there in Revelation 7, 9, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Notice here in heaven, God doesn't remove the diversity because he created it. God includes all of humanity in his covenant promise. Just like Jesus said while he was here on this earth in John 3, 16, we, most of us know this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his, own, his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And even when Jesus was on this earth, even in the rural setting where there wasn't a lot of diversity there where he was in that small village of Nazareth, he still mixed up as much as he could between the rich and the poor, the political zealots and the paid hacks from the oppressor nation, the educated and the uneducated in his group of disciples because he was walking around not thinking, what would Jesus do? He was Jesus. He was thinking, what would heaven be? And that's why he chose that mixed group of people. Heaven is diverse, and so should heaven on earth. We need each other desperately. This week I saw a quote on social media from Toby Mac that says, when Jesus said, love your neighbor, he knew that your neighbor would act, look, believe, and love differently than you do. And that's kind of the whole point. <laughs> Jesus' family should be diverse. And if I'm only hanging around and bringing people to Jesus who are just like me, then I'm probably not really bringing heaven on earth in its truest sense. And I know that might sound extreme, but think about the Great Commission as we also consider this question. How far are we willing to go? How big is God's family? How far are we willing to go? Because in verse 22 of Acts 11, it says, news of this reached the church, all of this stuff, great numbers of people coming to the Lord. That reached, news of this reached Jerusalem. And what did they do? They sent Barnabas to Antioch to go check it out. Now, it just sounds kind of easy. He just goes to, Bar to, to, Barnabas goes to Antioch. That was 300 miles. 300 miles in the first century, I mean, even 300 miles today in a car is a trip, right? 300 miles in the first century, that was a 15-day journey by mule, if you were lucky. Now, I have traveled on all parts of the globe, on the other side of the world, North Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere. I've done a lot of different places. I have never, in travel time, done 15 days. I get a little snarky after about three, right? And remember, Barnabas, there was no Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> there was no McDonald's. And culturally, when he arrived, it was a completely different world. 
He was sent there to check this out. And here's what happens in verse 23. When he arrived and he saw the grace of God had come, he was skeptical? Critical? No. He was glad and encouraged them all to be just like him. No, to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts because he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a, whoa, there it is again. A great number of people were brought to the Lord. Second time that happened. Barnabas didn't encourage them to be Jews, but to be true to the Lord with all their hearts and let God do whatever he wanted to do there in Antioch. He let God do something new. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but 2020 feels a little different than last year. Church feels a little different than last year. Could it be that Jesus is wanting to do something new? We have more people on screens right now than we do in the seats. And they worship differently. And this is why I'm focusing on our largest audience behind this camera right now. No offense to you guys that are in the live studio audience, right? But could it be that online is the new thing? Could it take the leap? It's not all that different from what Barnabas was experiencing. Because Barnabas made room for God and he was flexible. And great numbers of people we're coming to the Lord. And Antioch becomes the center of the Christian world because of it. Verse 25, because he feels a little bit overwhelmed, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Barnabas's heart was to seek the glory of God through the building up of his church, Jesus' church, not to seek a name for himself. And at some point, he began to realize that the work in Antioch was getting to be so big, it was more than he could handle. And maybe he realized that he didn't have all the gifts that were needed to see this church prosper. In other words, and you can put this in the chat, in the comments, or you can put this in your notes, you can't do family alone. Now, I know that might sound a little obvious, but it's really true because he left Antioch and traveled 100 more miles to Tarshish to search for Saul, didn't even know where he was. And then, and then when he finally found them, he brought him back. He wasn't threatened to bring this gifted man back to Antioch to share in the work with him. Eventually, Barnabas, he took a back seat to Paul's leadership in their missionary endeavors. And maybe, just like Antioch, maybe there are other expressions of church that could take a front seat to what's happening and the way that Jesus is doing things. And maybe you could be a part of what Jesus is doing online to join us so that we can be reaching more people who are not like us. And it reminds me of that African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. So how far are we willing to go? I think we should be as willing to go as far as Jesus does. In verse 26, it says, when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, think about that, a year, picking up everything, leaving your job, all of that, a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught, oh, there it is again, great numbers of people. The disciples were called, wait, before we get into this, this is the third time we're talking about great numbers of people. If you remember back when in Pentecost, how many people came to the Lord? Over 3,000, it says, about 3,000. 
There's so many people they can't even count them. And they keep growing time after time after time. And in that passage, it says the disciples, <laughs> they call them disciples now, right? They're in Antioch, completely different, worshiping Jesus completely differently. Now disciples were called Christians first, where? At Antioch. You know why? Because <laughs> they weren't anything like Jews. <laughs> they weren't Jewish. And they, they were different and distinct from the Jews, and their faith didn't make them Jewish. They needed a name. They needed an identity with, that embodied their essential uniqueness, which characterized them. And that name, which the city coined, was the name Christians, little Christs. The one thing that characterized every one of these new believers was their faith in Christ and their belonging to him. Because this Acts 2 community found their ultimate identity, not in their ethnicity, not in their culture, not even in their religion, but in Christ. Because in Jesus, we have infinitely more in common than all of our differences combined. Which brings us to the next question. How big is God's family? How far are we willing to go? How much are we willing to share? There's a story from this community that was happening here in Antioch that sprouts up. It says, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And we know in parenthesis that actually happened a little bit later during the reign of Claudius. Now, the disciples there decided before anything even happened, as each one was able, they decided to provide to help the brothers and sisters living where? In Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Because when you are family, everyone gives and everyone receives. You see, the church in Antioch, they had a global concern. And even though they weren't feeling the famine, even though the famine hadn't hit yet, they didn't decide to set aside just for themselves money and resources. They decided to collect for the church that had initially questioned their faith. Because in Jesus' family, we don't respond with reciprocity. We respond with generosity. They saw their resources as part of the global church. And so they sent their resources and they sent their resources with their best people because everyone needs to bring their contribution, their uniqueness, their diversity to the table. And one of the things I love about Westside is that we embody the spirit of Antioch because we do this too globally. We share our resources globally. You can feel the spirit of Antioch, the spirit of Jesus, when you hear about how we are generous to people that we've never seen. How much are we willing to share? As much as Jesus does with us. And it's not just resources necessarily of money. The church in Jerusalem, they invested leadership up to Antioch. And there, Barnabas and Saul, they invested their friendship and their partnership there in Antioch as well. And Antioch then, they shared resources to the churches in, in Judea and Jerusalem with people that they didn't even see. And this is what I love about God's church is that you can be generous with people that you don't even know, with people that you don't even see. Most of you don't even know 
that one of our microchurches in France makes blankets for other believers in Romania and masks for people in Madagascar. Internationally, our church planning efforts last year, over 7,000 people came to Christ. Um, yeah, that's nuts. That's nuts. We had almost 3,000 baptisms. Last month, online, just online, um, 27 people indicated that they accepted Jesus online. Last month. Yeah. If you spread that out, that's almost one a day. And each of these is being resourced by Westside because here's what you need to know. You can put this in the chat. You can put this in the comments. You can put this in your notes. You can't be selfish and be family. Now, that phrase right there probably just explained a whole lot of reasons why every dysfunctional family relationship that's gone sideways for you, right? You can't be selfish and be family. And I'm so glad that those missionaries that we don't even know who their names were that came from Cyprus and Cyrene decided that they were going to minister to people that they didn't even know because we are the fruit of that effort because most of us, as far as I know, aren't Orthodox Jews. We're all Gentiles. We are the fruit of that church in Antioch. What does this mean for us right now? Well, we probably need to wrestle down in our souls the reality of how we really feel. How big is God's family to you, really? Because I know it's super easy to get all catty and think, oh, I'm not like those people. Oh, I can't, I just can't understand how they would think that way. And yet God is giving them life. And God is wanting to have them be a part of his big family. Because the Acts 2 revolution and Acts 2 communities should be including people who aren't like you. Yeah, they'll probably drive you crazy, but they'll also make you like Jesus. So you need to wrestle down how big is God's family? How far are you willing to go? And that might mean you going across the ocean, across the city, across the street to your neighbors, across the aisle, or across the living room. And how much are you willing to share? Everyone gives. Everyone receives in the family. And the very reason that you are alive right now and God is giving you breath is because you have something to offer God's family. Can you imagine what it would be like if we aligned ourselves with Jesus' heart and with God so much so that his hand was upon his family like it was in Antioch? Well, that would be a revolution. Let's pray for that. We're gonna have prayer partners come up. Those of you who are online, if you wanna hit that request prayer button, you can do so. Or you can type in the chat or the comments, pray for me, and we'll have folks praying for you. Those of you who are at the Speedway and over in the South Sanctuary, you can just go up front and I'm sure that there's prayer partners that would love to pray with you about this, how we can start the big Acts 2 revolution together. But let's start off with prayer, one of our values. We don't move without prayer. Jesus, 
do a revolution in our hearts, just like you did with those unnamed missionaries that we find in the book of Acts. And raise a hallelujah in our souls who would be enemies, who would be enemies, and through inclusion and love, build your church so that they become not just friends, but family. Because we, we will make room for you. We will go as far as we need to so that you can do whatever you want to, even if it means more change and more disruption. It is your church. It is your kingdom. Do something new in us and through us. Because we know that you'll be true to your promise that you are building your church. May your kingdom in all of its beautiful diversity and variety and creativity come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven until it starts to look and feel like heaven on earth. And it's in your son's name under his authority that we have together as your children in one big family together. Amen.